Hello and welcome back to the Moonwind podcast. I am your host, AK, and I hope you enjoy today's reading of The Kingdom by Jess Rothenberg. Last week, um, when I recorded the podcast, I sounded pretty melancholy, kind of sad. Now that it's been a, more than a week since I recorded that, my week has gotten a lot better. I spent some time with my family, I spent some time with my friends, I did a lot of things and in the end my Easter holidays became a little bit better. Today is Friday so it's been a long while since Tuesday last week which I uh, recorded that recording. So anyway, I have lately started doing something and those things are called paid surveys and to be honest I think it's a pretty good way of making some money and one time I wanted to tell about this one survey I did which most of them are just very basic like I don't know where do you come from and some stuff like that which obviously I answer honestly but then I also try to uh, protect my privacy so anyway now that i said that um there's this one survey that i did that i uh i took some screenshots of it and i put it into my notes to talk about on the podcast so this this was the question that i got so it says thinking about mouthwash in tesco what is your opinion on each statement okay so i was told to talk about mouthwash in tesco which was kind of random so one of the questions was one of the main reasons I go shopping is to buy mouthwash. <laughs> I I don't think it is, but I mean I put mostly disagree. Another one was I'm often persuaded to buy extra mouthwash in Tesco, which <laughs> it's a bit like no, it's just mouthwash, but I don't know, it was interesting. Hmm. Another question was, I sometimes buy mouthwash just because I feel at it at the time. Like, I think mouthwash should be an everyday necessity. I don't think I need to buy it when I want to. Like, it's like saying if you want to choose to have clean teeth, but only when I really want to. Anyway, I just wanted to share that because these surveys, I mean, I've already gotten like £9 out of it. So, I thought that was like one of the most funniest ones because it was just asking about mouthwash for no reason. Like it was, I had to like pick the thing I buy in Tesco or something. I picked mouthwash because I thought that's normal, but then it started asking me like extremely personal questions. Like I didn't know if it's going to start asking me like, I want to give my life away to mouthwash or I love mouthwash with every part of my being or something. So it was really weird when I was doing it because I was just looking and I was so confused to why it was asking me about mouthwash. But anyway, um, on a different note, I'm going to be reading chapter 12 to 14 of The Kingdom by Jess Rothenberg and I hope you enjoy. Chapter 12, post-trial interview, 11 minutes and 9 seconds to 12 minutes and 23 seconds. Dr. Foster, were you and Owen arguing on the night he disappeared? Anna, we weren't arguing, we were having a discussion. 
Dr. Foster, a pretty heated discussion by the look of the security footage. Anna, he was upset. Dr. Foster, what about? Anna, something that happened earlier. Dr. Foster, that's right, something a guest said, wasn't it? Something about you? Anna, yes, one of the guests called me terrible names. Dr. Foster, what did she say? Anna, silence. Dr. Foster, Anna? Anna, she called me a monster. Dr. Foster, and why exactly would I have bothered Owen? Anna, what do you mean? Dr. Foster, well, you are a monster in a way. Isn't that what Owen thought? Chapter 13, the December of the Hyacinth Macaw, 21 months before the trial. I feel a sharp stabbing pain like a blade. My eyes begin to burn. Something is draining. No, leaking out my eyes. Some foreign substance, wet, warm, briny to the taste when it brushes my lips. Like sea water from Mermaid Lagoon. Hands trembling, I reach up and carefully touch my cheeks. I am crying. Do not let Daddy see, Eve says sharply, as I turn my face to the wall. Crying is not a fantasy. I jerk upright, gasping for air. For a moment, it's as if Mr Casey's hands are all over me, running through my hair, touching me through the fabric of my dress. I struggle to catch my breath. He didn't touch me. Not like that. I think of Kaya, of her sweet smile, of her button nose, of her soft voice and sparkling eyes. Big and brown as fawns, the memory of Mr. Casey leading her way down the Arctic corridor makes my skin turn clammy. Cool. Slowly, my fists clench. I will never let him touch her again. Anna? Nia's hand finds mine in the dark. Are you okay? I lay back against my pillow, breathing hard, heart racing, as if I've been running for days, in a way I have. What's wrong? Nia whispers. Do you feel sick? I'm, I'm not sure. I pull my knees into my chest, shaking. Ever since that moment with Mr. Casey, the same dream comes to me, night after night, and night after night, no matter how hard I try, no matter how fast I run, I can't escape it. But that's not what scares me the most. The scariest part is that I had a dream at all. I decided to share my troubling observation with Daddy at her regular morning checkup. After all, fantastics are not infallible. Sometimes we need fixing. There's nothing wrong with you. Everything's perfect. You're perfect, he assures me with a smile, shining his scope so brightly into my eye I briefly worry he conceal my thoughts. Well, your iron count is a bit low. I'll increase the levels in your supplements to keep an eye on it. But you seem fine otherwise, at least physically. I nod. Thank you. He takes a seat next to mine. What's on your mind, Anna? I... I look away from his concerned expression. I think I did something I wasn't supposed to. Daddy crinks his eyebrow. You broke one of the rules? Yes, no. It wasn't my fault. Kingdom's employees and fantasies are not supposed to interact. They are not even supposed to speak, as our conversation could diminish our guests' overall experience. It could ruin the fantasy. I feel a hard lump form in my throat. But the rules didn't stop, Mr Casey. What more might have happened if Kaya hadn't agreed to go in my place? What else might have he done? A new sensation wells up inside me suddenly, like a curtain drawn, casting me in shadow. But I do not know the word for it. I look away, not sure what to say or how to say it. 
not that I've done something wrong, it's that I feel wrong. Like my brain isn't functioning the way it should or the way it always has. But how can I explain that to daddy? How do I tell him that recently during the resting hours, instead of updating my applications or streaming the Kingdom's approved movie collection or rescanning my Shakespearean archive, my mind takes me far away to another world full of fear, confusion, monsters of my own making. Anna? The shadow grows. There is something wrong with me. I know there is. Some defunct neutral pathway. Some failing faulty connection. Something I cannot control that is taking me little by little from inside out. The very thought makes me think of crying, which is strange because crying is not in my programming. Anna, are you listening to me? I look up at him and smile sweetly. I feel better now, Daddy. I didn't mean to worry you. The dream is still hanging over me hours later. A low-lying fog the sun can't quite burn off. Even Nia can't seem to chase it away. I've taken Nia to Safari Land because I know it's one of her favourite places and today marks one year since her arrival at the kingdom. During the park's busiest hours, typically 9 to 6, the supervisors encourage us not to travel together. There are, after all, only 7 of us, compared to the many thousands of visitors who come to see us each day. However, my ranking has been particularly high this week and so Mother has rewarded me with a gift. This afternoon... I'm allowed to spend exactly one hour of free time with any sister I choose, and of course, I had chosen Nia. I've noticed today, again though, that she is acting a bit unusual, quiet, lethargic. I wonder if she has been taking all her supplements. Perhaps there's no good reason for my worry. Is that the word for this sensation? Perhaps the serenity of the savannah will help restore my focus as well. But it's not long before I realise serenity is the wrong word, at least today. Here you can stop to observe our African restoration habitat. The tour guide's voice fades over the loudspeaker as he brings our game-viewing rover to a slow but sudden halt. There, he motions across the grassland, where, in the dappled shade of acacia trees, a dazzle of zebras are grazing. From my seat in the fourth and final tier, Fantasis must always sit in the highest row in safari vehicles so as to maintain the illusion of our regional status. I quickly pinpoint the reason for our stop. Ten yards away from where the zebras are gathered, a tree of lionesses are stalking them, their bodies crouched so low in the willowy grass. I spot them only by the tips of their tail. Mommy, a boy in the first row whispers, are the bad lions going to eat the nice zebras? Yes, honey, the mother replies watching the scene unfold through a pair of kingdom-branded binoculars. But don't worry, it doesn't hurt them. The animals aren't real. I purse my lips. It's true that the animals don't feel pain, so the woman is not wrong, but she is not entirely right either. I look down at my hands and study the bluish veins visible below my skin. How do you define real, anyway? I wonder if the mother is one of those people who believe the kingdom's practices to be unethical. There are many who believe it is morally wrong, both to revive extinct species and to do in a way that blends nature and technology so seamlessly, so intuitively, that the animals produce are neither biological nor machine, but both, hybrids. The tour guide drones on. All these animals were born under one observation, a part of a pioneering FES program. I've heard the speech so many times, I could easily recite it myself. Are you coming? I whisper to Nia. We're nearly there. 
But Nia doesn't answer. She is too busy staring at a teenage boy in front of us, posing with a sweep of Savannah and rapidly taking photos with his phone. My eyes dart back and forth between Nia and the boy. Why does she seem so interested in his phone? She knows as well as I do that phones are forbidden. Come on, I nudge her arm. Let's go. I've changed my mind, she says quietly, her eyes still locked on the boy. I can visit the waterhole another time. You go ahead. This is unexpected. But it's your special day. I thought you wanted to spend it together. Nia looks at me sharply, her green eyes so clear and bright I can see my own reflection staring back. Go without me, she says. I'll see you at tea time at the Briar Rose Parlour at four o'clock, okay? I notice a new feeling in my chest, a slow but measured squeezing like air leaking from a balloon. Disappointment. Okay, I try my best to sound cheerful. It's your day, you get to choose. Nia's face brightens. Thanks, Anna. She squeezes my hand. I knew you'd understand. I bid farewell to the tour with a graceful wave of my hand and climb down from the rover. Maybe this is a good thing, I remind myself. Maybe Nia no longer needs me the way she always has. Maybe after all those months, she's finally growing into her role here. Maybe I have helped her. The thought lessens the ache. But mommy, they'll eat her. I hear the same boy cry as I start across the savannah. The lions will eat Anna. I turn back and give him a reassuring smile, dipping into a low courtesy before I continue on my way. Don't worry, fella. I hear the guide assure him. Hybrids only hunt what they are programmed to hunt. She'll be perfectly safe. Safe? I wonder if I know what the word really means. A soft rustling in the distance soon distracts me. Any second now, the lions are invisible in the tall grass. I hold my breath. A moment later, there is a flash of brown, a tangle of elegant stripes and thundering of hooves. The thick cloud of dust rises up, growling, snarling, a sharp and panicked whining, and then a guttural scream. I glance back over my shoulder and see the boy turn to his mother's arms, burying his head in her stomach. What you'll witness is the way that the natural selection occurs in the wild, the guide says as he revs the hover to life. The fastest zebras survive, while the slowest zebras... He draws his finger across the throat and then speeds off. In between tour groups, the cleanup crew will arrive to strip the carcass of any usable or recyclable parts. Fantastics are not supposed to interact with defectives due to their heightened risk of injury, but today I ignore the rules. Cautiously, I approach the zebra or what is left of him, a mess of muscle, bone and shredded wiring, and after scanning the grasslands for any hint of motion, kneel down beside him. My chest aches when I see a smattering of spots above his front left hoof, an unusual genetic variation that is made to stand out from his brothers and sisters. His name was EZ4310. I known him since the day he was born. Your life was meaningful, I tell him, reaching to stroke his mane. You mattered. At the sound of my voice, the zebra's eyes shift upwards towards mine, Iris is round as saucers. He is still functional. Barely. I eye his limbs, twisted and torn. The grass, scattered with wires and entrails. The ground, soaked with thick, blue-black liquid, like oil oozing into the earth. Sitting with him, a new sensation settles over me. A deep crevice opening up inside my chest. It's okay, boy. 
I whisper as I pull his head into my lap. You can let go. The zebra blinks several times and I can see my reflection in the warm brown eyes. Then, little by little, his gaze shifts to somewhere far away as if he's looking through me all the way to the sky. Finally, his head goes limp against me. He is gone. A strange hollowness fills me, though I am not sure why. After all, a shutdown and final rest are natural stages of our technological lives. Good night, old friend, I whisper, leaning down to kiss his nose. Run fast to the clouds. The rumble of a jeep alerts me that the cleaning crew is close, but when I turn around, I spot just one maintenance worker. From a distance, he is nothing but a gleam of black behind the wheel, and his hair catches in the sun. Quickly, I scramble to my feet. It's the same boy I saw at the polar bear enclosure. Owen Chen, ID 9013-7219, clearance level 10. As his vehicle pulls to a stop, I feel my stomach not suddenly. You're not supposed to be here, he says when he climbs out the jeep. Hope you didn't touch anything you weren't supposed to. I'm allowed to go anywhere I choose as long as it doesn't interfere with my schedule, I tell him. I know the rules better than you do. The moment the words leave my mouth, I cannot believe I had said them. I quickly correct my facial expression from immodest to humble. Hoping I have not offended him, I do not want him to report me to the supervisors for impertinent behaviour. To my surprise, he laughs. Is that right? <laughs> I nod. I've been here all my life and you're new. There it is again, that bold, daring tone. What's wrong with me? Am I glitching? Fair enough. He shrugs and fishes a pair of white sensation gloves from his messenger bag before striding over to what's left of the zebra. You should probably move, he says, glancing at my gown. This can get messy. I take several steps back but continue to watch closely as he begins the hard work of stripping the carcass from everything from organ tissue to circuitry. I've never seen this process so up close, and though I do not appreciate the rough way he's handling EZ4310, I cannot seem to look away. The way the zebra's pizzas fit together is so beautiful, I realise, like a rare, intricate puzzle. The wire springs and metal screws of his mandible, the gel-like fluid oozing from his spinal cord, the same dazzling blue as the biosphere spring, the curve of his bone and the grooves of his joint even his striking brown eyes, inside of which are high-definition cameras the supervisors will extract and use to study animal behaviour. I know, because I have them, too. Do you need help? I ask when I notice Owen struggle momentarily. I'm very strong. No, he mutters, without looking at me. I got it. After much pulling, grunting and cutting, he finally wrestles something loose from the ribcage, a thick, fibrous muscle covered in a black and blue goop that looks a little like an upside-down pear, a heart. What do you need that for? I ask. Tests, mostly. A lot of the animals out here seem to be born with defects and an electrical conducting system affects the performance of their fight-or-flight response. He gives the zebra a sorry pat, clearly. Are you sure? I say. I know everything about these animals and I didn't know that. No feds. He brushes past me as he begins carrying his collection bags back to the jeep. There's probably a lot of things you don't know. I know about the wolf, I blurt before I can stop myself, or the fox from the woods. He looks up, 
His expression changes in a way that is hard to read. What you hear about that? I overheard the guards talking. They say it's a rapid. You mean you are eavesdropping? What? His directness, or is it unfriendliness, confuses me. And for a second, I am not sure how best to respond. No, I finally answer. No, I was not. At least, not intentionally. Then, just to prove I'm telling the truth, I add. I saw for myself something like blood in the snow on the way up to Winterland's lifts. A family of rabbits, I think. Owen goes silent. You shouldn't be going out there. I frown. This is my home. I can go wherever I like, as long as I'm back at the dormitory by night time. Well, for now, maybe you shouldn't, he shrugs. At least not to Winterland, not by yourself. There's something dangerous out there. The rangers will find it. We are safe here in the kingdom. <laughs> wow. The kid scoffs and shakes his head. What? Nothing. It's just someone's been drinking the Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid? I scan my wireless dictionary, but this far from the centre of magic land, my signal isn't as strong. The search fails. Once, twice, three times. I'm sorry, I say, mildly irked to have to ask his help. But what is Kool-Aid? The boy turns around and his eyes meet mine. Standing so close, I realise they are not simply brown, but a dark, earthy shade of burnt umber. Like trees and rust of chocolate all mixed into one. It's just an expression, he says. I mean, it's a drink. Oh, I say, fantastics only require water, typically in very small amounts. No, but it's also an... Uh, never mind. He peels off his gloves and tosses them into the back of his truck. My point is, you sound like a brochure. You've been spending too much time with Mr Casey. The kingdom is a safe and happy place, I repeat. A beautiful place. He gestures to the zebra. And you think this is beautiful too? I remind myself that he is new. Animals die in the wild every day, I explain. Just like they do here. It's natural. But without the kingdom, they would never have existed in the first place. Our conservation efforts allow millions upon millions of annual guests to celebrate, appreciate and get inspired about protecting our natural world. It's a beautiful system. It isn't beautiful when their organs fail, he replies. Or when they develop lymphoma by the time they're six months old. Or when they're born with genetic defect. That mean they spend their whole lives suffering. They're even allowed to live at all. I hesitate. How does he know so much about the animals if he's just focusing on the maintenance work? Lymphoma? Defect? Suffering? These are words I've learnt but wish I could unlearn. Sick children visit the park all the time. Having made wishes to spend their final days among us, the princesses of their dreams, it never occurred to me that the hybrids of the Fez programme could suffer similar fates. We were programmed to be perfect. Look, this is exactly what I mean. He walks over to the nearest acacia tree and carefully guides a resting butterfly into his cocked palms. Moving closer to me again, he opens his hands. What do you see? A butterfly, I say, noting its beautiful black and orange markings, delicate white dots scattered along the edges. A monarch. It must have flown over from the sanctuary in Magicland. This species was wiped out 20 years ago, but thousands hatched just last week. I cross my arms. See, without the kingdom, they wouldn't exist. True, Owen says. But hold on. He gestures for me to open my hand, then carefully transfers the insect to me. When our fingers touch, 
the tiny spark shoots off in my arm, and I flinch. Look closer. Owen carefully tips a butterfly into his side and gently extends his wing. See that? This time, I notice tiny cracks in the surface, dusted with something that looks like powdered sugar. Spores, he replies. He takes out a small silver pocket knife and opens it, the blade glinting in the light. I watch as he scrapes a few of the spores off to show me. Early stages of OE, it's short for a very long, complicated word. A type of protozoan parasite, those thousands of butterflies you mentioned, they'll be dead in a week. He shakes his head, rubbing the powder between his fingers until it disappears. It's sad. I peer closer. Is it? I didn't know maintenance workers were so involved in monitoring animal behaviour. I say in my hand as the butterfly struggles to flap its wings. In fact, there's no reason he should be handling these animals at all. I can't help but wonder, is there something Owen isn't telling me? Can I, can I catch this disease? I ask him. This is, after all, no common cold. Nah, Owen shakes his head. Anyway, it's not really the disease that's the issue. It's their vulnerability to the disease. Often behavioural patterns, diet, sleep, migration, aggression, that sort of thing. Patterns. A word with many meanings, my mind recalls. Natural or chance configuration, an artistic, musical, literacy or mechanical design of form. The length of fabric sufficient from an article, as of clothing. A reliable sample of traits, act, tendencies or other observable characteristics. I highlight the fourth definition and hit select. A soft bell sounds as the memory is filed. The next time I encounter a similar human conversation, my operating system will make the connection without having to check. Owen walks back over to EZ4310 and nudges a bloody chunk of femur with his shoe. They didn't even eat any of him, he mutters. It's like they just tore him apart for fun. He looks at me. Still think the first program's amazing? I have no answer for him. Nobody has ever asked me what I think about it. Owen reaches over and takes the butterfly out of my hands. It shouldn't be here, he says. I could get in a lot of trouble for even talking to you. He turns it in the direction of the wind, raises his arm into the sky and releases the butterfly, watching as it flutters away across the savannah. It's nice meeting you, Anna, he says quietly. Then he jumps into the jeep, turning on the ignition, and drives away. I stare at the jeep for a while, troubled by the new information and by the spark of electricity that passes between us. Troubled too, not that he knows my name, but that it sounds so nice when he says it. It is enough to keep me distracted all day, enough that I don't realise until it's too late what Nia has done. Chapter 14. Trial Transcript. Mrs. Bell, I'd like to talk with you about your interaction with one of the princesses. Panya, is that right? On December 5th, a year before last. Mr. Trevor Jacobs, park guest. Yeah, that's right. Mrs. Bell. How did you two end up talking? Did she approach you or did you approach her? Mr. Jacobs. I mean, I don't know. I guess I asked to take a picture with me and my brothers. We were in the safari land and I wanted to take a photo of us riding this sick water buffalo. I don't mean, like, it wasn't sick. It was just dope, you know. So I asked her if she'd take the picture. Since fantastic do whatever you ask them to do, or whatever. 
Mrs. Bell, okay. So she took the picture. What happened next? Mr. Jacobs, well, she asked to see it after she took it to make sure the lighting was good enough or whatever. Something about the sun being overhead. I handed it back to her. Well, she asked to see it after she took it just to make sure the lighting was good enough or whatever. Something about the sun being overhead. I handed it back to her, but accidentally loaded up an old video from my favourite folder. Mrs. Bell, what kind of video? Mr. Jacobs, a video my girlfriend took of us at prom. Mrs. Bell, and how did she, how did Panya react? Mr. Jacobs, she got really quiet. She asked to see her a couple of times. Mrs. Bell, and then? Mr. Jacobs, I don't know, it wasn't that big of a deal. Maybe the fifth or sixth time she smiled and thanked me. I guess. And then some of the family came up next to us and she went over to talk to them. Mrs. Bell, I see. And Mr. Jacobs, how long did it take you to realise your phone was missing? Ah, so that was chapter 12 to 14 of The Kingdom by Jess Rothenberg. So I added a lot of voices in this one because I thought it was pretty funny. I don't really know if it is. Hopefully it's not too horrible to listen to. I don't really do voices, so I guess this is like an attempt. But I actually found it pretty enjoyable to read today, more than I usually, anyway. Hopefully you enjoyed that, and I hope you stick around to listen to the rest of the story when I get to reading again. This was the Moonwind Podcast. Nighty night.